Welcome to Votes and Ballots. This is the podcast that deals with the most visible part of our democracy's elections. Here we are analyzing recently conducted elections, new voting technologies and recently published papers. We are talking with experts, officials and observers. My name is Daniel Stefanov and I'm hosting this podcast. Please join us on our Twitter and Facebook accounts. Welcome to today's podcast. Today's topic is, of course, the U.S. elections. I invited uh, Dr. Manuel Wally, who has uh, over 15 years of professional experience in democratic accountability and elections uh, over the world. He has been in more than 50 countries. His professional experience includes drafting election provisions and election laws, um, also comparative analysis, uh, and participation in electoral assistance projects. He has worked for quite a wide range of democracy and governance organizations like IFES, the African Union, Democracy Reporting International, the UN and the Venice Commission. I invited him to talk about the US elections um, and uh, the postal voting, which is obviously the topic number one regarding those elections. Manuel, welcome to Votes and Ballots podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Daniel. Um, let's start with, uh, I think, uh, the most uh, important question that comes uh, uh, in those days. Uh, we have more than 92 million uh, votes already casted even before the election day in the US. Do you think that this increased number of early ballots will be a problem for the integrity of the election. Can that be a reason for somebody attacking the final result of the election? It's a very good question, Daniel. Um, yes and no. Uh, first of all, we'll have to look at the necessity of offering um, American voters alternative methods to expressing uh, their political preference uh, other than going to vote on election day in uh, polling stations. Um, as you know, the, uh, the, the danger of infection uh, in, of COVID-19 um, currently is on the rise uh, in a number of swing states, for example, Wisconsin, the infection rates are peaking right now. Uh, so uh, an important percentage and segments of voters would be exposed uh, to potentially lethal danger by presenting themselves and standing in line for extended of periods of uh, hours uh, to cast their vote. So I think in that sense, it was in, you know, almost an indispensable measure to allow uh, certain voters to vote from home. And the turnout, um, as of now, the return rate, the national average return rate of postal votes is in excess of 60%. It's, it's approaching actually 70% of all the ballots that were sent out. Uh, so that's quite a high rate, rate with still a number of days um, open to receive those ballots back. Um, are there vulnerabilities uh, to attack the integrity of that? Uh, yes, there are. Obviously, a lot of voters have cast uh, postal ba ballots for the first time. And uh, filling in a postal ballot uh, is something that's quite a little bit more challenging uh, than voting in a polling station. You don't have assistance ready. You might have instructions. Uh, it might look very easy, but certain states have 
procedural requirements and formalities that must be met for the ballot to be valid. Uh, just to give one example, in Wisconsin, uh, the voter needs a witness and the witness needs to fill in his or her address. Um, and if that formality is not completed, the ballot may not be counted. So uh, there are then procedures to cure ballot errors and those could be perceived as fraud uh, if that curing process is taking place after election day, for example, uh, it could be alleged uh, whether or not it is fraud is a different issue. But clearly there's vulnerabilities to the public perception of the integrity. Um, to actual uh, uh, vulnerability of integrity, I would say postal voting is a fairly safe process because contrary to internet voting, online voting, uh, we're voting at voting machines that don't produce a paper trail, uh, some of which are still being used in the United States, uh, including in swing states. Postal voting does produce a paper trail and it can be recounted and verified and authenticated and voters can be contacted uh, to, to cure errors. So yeah. in postal voting uh, is a fairly safe way to vote. Yeah. And uh, can, you, can you try to evaluate the level of vulnerability of the U.S. electoral system uh, for those for these elections compared to the to the elections in 2016, when we have that uh, problems with uh, attacks uh, over the on the uh, uh, voting registries. Well, we need to uh, distinguish if we talk about external threats um, by yeah. malicious, malicious actors that want to discredit an electoral process. There are two different things we have to look at. Discrediting the perception of the process, uh, that, that vulnerability will always be there. You know, it goes through misinformation, and there's no country in the world that's immune to that. Um, and yeah, unfortunately. Continues to be immune to that. And then we have to look at the, the, the technical vulnerability uh, in terms of external actors penetrating Uh, the actual functioning of the electoral system. And again, um, the vulnerability between in-person voting and, uh, and postal voting uh, would remain similar because the, the biggest vulnerability is attacking voter registers and voter registration processes and then the database that's being used to identify voters, uh, whether they're physical voters or whether they're postal votes, Uh, and, and, and those databases are obviously online. Uh, voters can verify their registration. So these voter databases remain vulnerable. And as we've seen uh, in a number of swing states, I believe in Florida, uh, as one example, uh, the last days that were open for voter registration, uh, those voter registration portals and databases crashed. Uh, and in two states, at least, the deadline to register was actually extended. And I'm not sure whether it's been investigated, whether those uh, databases crashed because of actual demand peaking or whether there were denial of service attacks, what had happened. So I can't authoritatively speak to that because it hasn't been investigated. Uh, but the vulnerability clearly remains. Yeah. Uh, no, my question was uh, because we can see that there, there is a set of methods, of voting methods in the U.S., having in mind that you can vote by by email you can go and have an early vote in the uh, in the polling station and uh, at the end you can go on the uh, election day uh, having in mind all those methods and uh, the fact that um, 
having different uh, voting methods uh, should uh, correspond correspond to somehow to the level of um, of the trust in the of, of the society in the uh, electoral process do you think that that all these varieties this variety of, of voting methods they correspond to the level of, of trust of, in the integrity of the uh, electoral process in the US currently also having in mind the the latest uh, uh, tweets of uh, from from the current president trump Well, Daniel, I'm not going to comment to individual political opinions uh, of the trust. Uh, what I'm going to uh, try and address is the correlation between trust and turnout uh, and integrity. Okay, And what we see in the United States is an unmatched uh, turnout in terms of early voting, both early in-person voting. There's more than 32 million Americans who have voted early in person, uh, presumably for two, two main reasons. They didn't want to take uh, the health risk uh, of standing in, in, in even longer lines on election day. Uh, so they wanted to spread out and flatten the curve on in-person voting, which is probably ultimately going to save a lot of lives because it spread out election day over you know, 10 or 20 or 30 days in some states of early voting, and it prevented a lot of infections. So I think that was a very, very good measure. There's been very little contention around early in-person voting. Nobody's ever said there's cheating because of that. And again, there's an unmatched participation in early voting, uh, I believe from both political, um, from the full political spectrum, more Republicans actually voted early in-person than Democrats did. Uh, so clearly there's a lot of trust in early voting. In postal voting, Uh, we should also note that uh, while the percentage of Democrats that cast po postal votes is much higher than Republicans, there is still a significant number of Republicans uh, who voted by mail and also a, a, a very, very high number of political independents who aren't registered by political party who use the right. postal voting system. And if we consider that now... Uh, Over 92 million Americans requested ballots or received it automatically. Uh, and um, uh, over 60 million uh, ballots were actually received back. And an unknown number is still in the mainstream. So we could actually end up with something like 70 million mail ballots being returned. Uh, there is significant trust. Uh, number one, there's significant fear of COVID infection of those 70 million people probably. Uh, who didn't want to vote in person, but who'd rather have a ballot sent to them at home and then completed it. And then we have to distinguish uh, in terms of trust in the Postal Service and trust in the election administration. And yeah. while the U.S. Postal Service has always enjoyed the highest uh, public trust ratings of any federal public institution in the United States, of any agency, uh, it's, it's the public confidence has suffered because the institution has been politicized over the last few months since August. So a lot of those postal voters are now choosing, and I don't have exact statistics in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised if about half the postal voters uh, will have cast their ballots not by mailing them back, but by uh, casting them in a election, ele election administration drop box. Yeah. We're, we're depositing them in person with their county clerks, Uh, in order to avoid the risk of mail delays. 
so that statistic will be very interesting to see. Already in Colorado, we, now, we know that over 80% of the voters do not mail their ballot back, but deliver it in person either to a drop box or to the election administration. Yeah, uh, and uh, actually, one of the reasons why I'm um, I, I invited you is um, a paper that you authored uh, for the IFES uh, that is called uh, "Vote by Mail International Practice uh, During COVID-19." Um, can you give? I don't know. Probably it's very difficult, but can you give uh, uh, one or two of your recommendations that would apply to the? U.S. Uh, electoral system currently, the most important thing that you would uh, recommend? Uh, thanks, Daniel. It's a very important question. Well, you know, generally speaking, the United States is really ahead of the curve uh, in terms of postal voting when compared to other countries that use it uh, in-country rather than just for out-of-country voters. Uh, in the U.S., there's a practice called barcode tracking, so you, you can actually follow your ballot where it is in the mail stream. As a voter, you know, you, you'll have a tracking number. Like when you order something on the Internet, it's being mailed to you, you can track it. In the U.S., in 41 out of 50 states, you can also now do that with your ballot. Uh, the other jurisdictions, with the exception of South Korea, uh, that we've looked at, they're not at that stage yet. So I would say in general, U.S. postal voting uh, it, it is better than, than the practice in most other countries. There are a few things that we found. Uh, for example, uh, South Korea, Luxembourg, and Austria uh, require postal ballots to be mailed out by registered mail, and Bosnia requires returning uh, postal ballots to be registered. Uh, so that's maybe a good practice. It's very expensive, mm -hmm. obviously, and it may not be that convenient for working parents who are just not at home to sign for the thing and then have to go to the post office to retrieve it, which poses another COVID infection risk. But that is obviously for those people who criticize postal voting on the grounds that, you know, a, a postal ballot might stray around in a building lobby or something. If you send it by registered mail, that risk would be eliminated. You know, so that's a good practice that could be mm -hmm. considered by any country that wants to introduce postal voting. Uh, one of the other elements that we found that are being practiced by countries other than the U.S. and not in the U.S. yet is a postal service, for example, in Switzerland and Germany and Austria guarantees that they will empty every mail street collection box uh, the evening before the election day. And then the postal service guarantees that all these postal votes that were collected the night before the election day uh, will be delivered to the election administration by election day itself. So there isn't this debate and this controversy of whether ballots that are postmarked before or on election day but arrive after election day should count or not because the Postal Service guarantees that they will not arrive late. So that's maybe yeah, a good practice that needs to be negotiated with the Postal Service and the capacity of the Postal Service and then legal delays need to be customized around the capacity of the Postal Service. Yeah, and... Um, uh when I was uh, listening to you, uh, I was thinking that there are experts who are, um, I would say, a little bit skeptical. So they think that the postal voting has one big problem, and this is the problem with the secrecy of the vote. Uh, and uh, as a whole, the, the vote uh, in um, uncontrolled uh, environment. Do you think that uh, there is a way that we can reconcile uh, the postal voting and the, as a whole, the distance voting with with this uh, secrecy of the vote standard. 
Well, look, Daniel, I mean, the United uh, Nations uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights of 1948, it says the vote shall be secret or by equivalent free and fair procedure. Okay, so it's not absolute in terms of international instruments. I mean, some 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 stakeholders seem to think that secrecy of the vote is an absolute right. Now, there is a provision for equivalency. And now what happens in postal voting is, for example, in Austria, where the Constitution provides for the secrecy of the vote, um, you as a voter have to sign an affidavit on, on the outer envelope of the, of the ballot, of the postal ballot, where you attest that you have marked your ballot in secrecy. Okay, so that is how the Austrian Constitutional Court accepted postal voting, despite the constitutional requirement of voting secrecy. In Switzerland, there is no constitutionalization of voting secrecy. And as you know, there are some cantons in Switzerland where local elections are still held by show of hand in the market square. Yeah. So different countries place a different value uh, you know, in the hierarchy of norms in terms of voting secrecy. Uh, when I vote by mail in my home state of New York in the United States, what I sign on the, on the envelope is merely that it was me myself who completed the ballot, but it doesn't require me to say that I voted in secrecy. So voting secrecy uh, is not a big debate in the United States. Uh, there was a debate in the United Kingdom uh, where there are uh, populations um, who have very strong family structures, uh, patriarchal family structures maybe, where family, family voting, voting was, was alleged, was alleged. Yeah, me personally, I filled out my ballot together with my nine-year-old daughter as, as a civic education <laughs> measure. So, uh, you know, it's very, very subjective and um, it's a balancing act. Uh, you know, uh, for example, witness requirements were abrogated in Austria because it was felt that the witnesses were actually uh, imperiling the secrecy of the vote because they were, even though they were not supposed to be present at the marking, they were then supposed to witness that the marking was secret. But in fact, that constituted a threat to the secrecy of the vote. So it's a, it's a very complex discussion. Um, again, I think what's happening is uh, in a controlled environment, the state enforces the secrecy of the vote. Whereas with postal voting, the state entrusts the individual voter with enforcing the voting yeah. secrecy. It's a question, how much trust does the state have in the citizen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that interview. Uh, I think it was it was great. Uh, and together we're going to wait for the final results uh, of the U.S. elections. Uh, and hopefully, obviously, this is not going to happen on the election day night, but hopefully, it's going to happen within several days. Um, probably one last question: Do you think that uh, there there will be something like a uh, attacking on the final results from uh, some of the candidates? Uh, in certain states, yes. I mean, much will depend on uh, the outcome in, 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 in specific states that have a lot of electoral college votes. You know, I mean, if Florida is called for one candidate or another uh, on the election night and Florida counts very fast because in their law they can process postal votes as they come in, they don't have to wait. So the postal votes in, in Florida, generally speaking, they're counted before the in-person polling votes. 
So if Florida is a clear result, then I think there will be a national result uh, on election night. And the same applies to, to Texas, for example, where Pennsylvania, if Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania will not be called on election night, but Texas or Florida could. Uh, so if these results come clear, clearly uh, uh, on the side of one candidate or another, um, there may be much less litigation because there's going to be less of a point of litigation. Now, uh, if, if, if President Trump wins both Texas and Florida, then it'll come down to, uh, you know, two handfuls of other swing states. And if the results in these other swing states are very, very close, uh, then there could be a lot of litigation, uh, maybe not so much around the results of an individual state, uh, but there could be demands for recounts. And there could be specific categories of ballots that could be attacked. For example, in Texas right now, there's a case over 100,000 votes were cast in drive-in uh, polling stations where people yeah. drove by with and drop off their vote. And now uh, the Republican Party is contesting the validity of those ballots. Uh, so it's more those types of lawsuits uh, that would, uh, you know, attack uh, whole segments of postal votes. For example, in Pennsylvania, the votes that came in after election day, but that are postmarked before election day, um, those could be attacked and, and might be attacked if the result in Pennsylvania is close enough. And the hope would be that the Postal Service delivers, uh, you know, the, the outstanding on time. Uh, on time. And, uh, you know, again, in Pennsylvania, over 80% of, of the postal ballots have been returned already. And we shouldn't forget that there's always going to be people who requested a postal vote, but then decided to vote in person instead. Um, and in some states, they have to cast provisional ballots now, attended ballots. And uh, then obviously there could be litigation around the validity of some of these provisional intended ballots. Uh, so all of, the, all of this is quite possible. And none of this is unhealthy. I mean, a good election has good electoral dispute resolution. Uh, what would be unhealthy is if ultimately somehow the Supreme Court uh, called the election again uh, rather than the voters, you know, because there is time constraints on when elections have to be certified in the United States. And once you reach uh, that point in time, uh, you know, a court of law might again, like in 2000, make a call that ultimately decides the election. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be bad for the legitimacy of the election. I, I wish that would not happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Manuel. That was great. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, you'll be uh, our guest again on other topics. Thank you. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's been a great pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. We are hours away from the opening of the election day in the US and at that moment it's very probable that more than half of the registered voters will have voted mainly through early voting and postal voting. And as uh, Manuel Wallace said, um, this high turnout and the COVID-19 situation fully justify the use of those alternative methods. On the other hand, it is clear that the use of such alternative methods increases the vulnerabilities um, in, of the integrity of the vote. However, it is the scale that matters. 
it is obvious that uh, to sway an election on national level or at state level requires a very high level of conspiracy among the political players and many resources. That is why it is not very probable that the problems uh, in the integrity of the the real problems of the integrity of the American elections will come from the use from the mass use of postal voting and early voting. Against this uh, backdrop, uh, an eventual contestation of the final result, especially on national level, would be based on pure political reasons. Such an act would set a very bad example for the governance around the world who don't like the result of their elections. Everybody would be free to contest the result of the elections um, because this already happened in the US. And as we know, the US is one of the most symbolic democracies in the Western civilization. Thank you for listening. Follow us on our profiles on Twitter and Facebook.